uh, you know, I'm not on the, the leadership team or the elder uh, team or a pastor here, but um, so I, I asked myself the question about 20 seconds ago, <laughs> why am I up here? And uh, the answer to that is, is, is I want to be available and I want to be a servant. Um, and this is the way that God has chosen to use me over the years, even though it's been uh, quite a while since I've been up here. Um, so I'm on a journey just like many of you. And uh, along my journey, this is a, this is a stop along the way. Um, as I, uh, some of you that, uh, my wife Claire, you, you know she serves uh, around the church here. And um, something kind of different, we, uh, we both work third shift. <laughs> and so it's kind of weird now preaching during my normal sleeping hours. But, uh, <laughs> but no, no. I, uh, I'm a little bit nervous. I'm not as eloquent or as, as polished as, you know, some of the normal, the regular preachers up here. But uh, I do work as a police officer. And uh, I will tell you that doesn't do anything for my eloquence or polish at all. <laughs> uh, so I think every, every year, every shift that goes by, I think I get a little bit, uh, little bit worse. But anyway, here, here, here we are. And so we've been on a journey uh, through these messages uh, on how to neighbor. And, and so to recap where we've been, this series is born out of Luke chapter 10, verse 29, right? Where this person comes to Jesus and he asks, okay, uh, you know, what should I do, Jesus, to, to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, uh, confirms, he's like, well, what, what, what do you know about the law? And he says, okay, love the Lord God with all your heart and soul and mind, and then love yourself. And Jesus says, oh, yeah, very good, you got it. And then the guy's like, wait a second, well, who, who's my neighbor, right? And so we know through this series, uh, the guy's really asking the question, well, well, who do I love? Or who is worthy of my love. And so, so far we've examined who is our neighbor. And, and we've learned, where we've discovered empowering the poor, and we've, we've discussed uh, racial reconciliation, and we uh, last week um, talked about embracing orphans, right? Which, ironically, I went back and listened to that, uh, that message, and it hits home. Uh, I was a foster kid. And I was adopted. Um, and so there's something that, that's very close and dear to my heart. So I hope you all are still considering that message. But today, today our focus is on loving the lonely or being a neighbor to the lonely. In 1895, there was a, a woman born in England. Her name was Eleanor Rigby Whitfield. And uh, nobody really knew who she was. We, we do now. Uh, but she was a poor woman. She lived uh, in pretty much obscurity. There's no pictures of, of Eleanor. Uh, there is a tombstone in England, in London, with her name. And so over the years, people have gone back and they, they've... they've tried to research her life, and, and Eleanor, she, she worked as, as a maid at, at some type of laundromat type of situation, and, uh, you know, as she grew up, she, she couldn't find love, she was a lonely person, and then uh, when she turned 35, she finally got married, which 
which in those days was, was ancient, right? If you were 35, you know, they were getting married as teenagers. And, and she, she got married and she couldn't have, have kids, and so that was a source of stress in her life. And uh, it ended up being that she died at the age of 44 in 1939. But we now know her name as Eleanor Rigby because a few years later, two young songwriters... John Lennon and, and Paul McCartney used to grow up in that neighborhood playing in that graveyard. And they wrote a song, a very sad song that's well known across the world about this Eleanor Rigby. And it was about the lonely people. And it's the story of, of Eleanor Rigby in, in the church. And nobody knew who she was. And, and at the end of her life, she died in obscurity and, and, and nobody came. And it's a really, uh, it's a sad song, but it's famous, right? And so now we know her name. And that song asks us a question. And that question is, where are all the lonely people? Where do they all come from? Where are all the lonely people? Where do they belong? And you know, we can read research, and there's a lot smarter people than me that have researched this, and they'll tell you that, you know, one out of five people are lonely, and, and, and uh, they say 22% of, of men and 15% of women say that they're lonely, which is maybe surprising to me. And and as far as age, you know, it's the millennials and generation extras that are the most lonely. And, and ironically, the folks that sell, say they're the least lonely are the elderly. So it's kind of like, okay, so who, who are these people really? Who is lonely around us? And, you know, we, we talked about material poverty earlier, right, a couple of weeks ago. And that seems to be easier to identify because at the end of the day, it's dollars and cents, right? It's how much money do I have versus what do I need to survive? But this term that we're going to unpack today is, is more like relational poverty, right? Relational poverty isn't just like money. It's something that might not be as material. It's something that is, is like lacking the intimacy and the connections to live a meaningful life. You lack the love around you and empathy and support. And, and you need somebody to listen and to share a story with. You see, this issue of loneliness is something we have to pay attention to it can be hard to recognize, can it? Because you can sit in a crowded room, in a room like this full of people, and be lonely, right? You can be a stay-at-home mom with your kids and, and seemingly surrounded with love, but you can be lonely, is that right? You can work with, with tons of people and have all kinds of success and not have a, a single close friend. You can be a college student or a high school student is surrounded with people your own age with similar interests, but, but still be lonely. You can be a successful business leader and have all kinds of power and control, but you can still be lonely. You can be in a marriage and feel alone. And so people with a lot more letters behind their name and smarts, you know, they, they've tried to come up with reasons uh, why we're so lonely in, in 2018, right? And so they write things that make sense. And some of you have experienced, you know, the, the breakdown of a family, right? And how that can alienate people and make them feel alone. Uh, you have what they call, like, increased mobility, right? People are always moving around, and, and, and we don't stay in our own communities as much anymore. Uh, we have heavy workloads. When you ask somebody how they are, everybody is like, I'm busy, right? That's what stands We're all very busy. And, you know, ironically, maybe even the 
of social media, for all of its good things, it creates a lot of loneliness, doesn't it? Once we get a, a sense of, of who the lonely are, uh, we're called as a church, I believe, as Crosspoint Church, in 2018 to be the hands and feet of Jesus, right? Part of the, the Great Commission. And so our big question we want to answer this morning is, how does the gospel show us to love lonely people? How does the gospel, the good news, show us to, how to love lonely people? And so I want to give you three practical ways this morning that we can love the lonely around us. The first one is, is, is love with touch, right? Now, that has some, some practical implications. I know that, you know, humans need affirmation and, and, and touch and simple a slap on the shoulder, a slap on the back, or a, is a very powerful thing. You know, there, there's a lot of healing power in that, I believe. You know, as, as a police officer, I can tell you that there's been scenes where, where I've hugged people, and there's been scenes that after you get back from and where nobody can see, you need a hug too. And it's a, it's a, it's a healing thing. Now, Jesus showed his love, and brought healing over and over and over we see in the through. One thing we want to look at this morning is verse 2. Matthew 8, verse 2. It's a story, a well-known story of, of how Jesus healed a leper. And there's leprosy back in the Bible times was, was a, kind of a general term that we use for, for a, a skin condition. And, uh, you know, it could be anything from maybe something that we go to Walgreens for all the way up to what we, we think of when we think of leprosy, which is, you know, that disease incurable that, that starts, you know, with and it leads to, to itch. Your body is covered with, with lumps and, and pus, and you, over time, it, it's a slow march to death, right? Your, your vocal cords start to to swell up, and your body decomposes, and there's a stench to it. It's a horrific, horrific disease. And most people back in Bible times, including uh, the religious elite, believed that leprosy was a punishment or inflicted as a curse for sins that people committed. And not just any sin, but specifically moral sins. And so this man in this passage in Matthew 8 uh, we know we don't know what type of leprosy he had. Uh, we don't we don't know that, but we know it, they were all treated the same, right? And so, kind of how this looked like is: remember, leprosy was treated as as kind of a, a moral moral issue instead of a physical one. So instead of going and seeing a doctor, you would go and see a priest, and the priest would put you through a, a series of of of, of things, uh, uh, tests over a period of seven days, and then uh, the priest would would order this person you know, to do certain things, and then afterwards come back and see me, and then we're going to check you out, and uh, okay, at the end of it, you can either stay in the community, or we're going to declare you unclean. And if you were declared unclean, it was a very serious who was going to change in ways. The book of Leviticus had really specific rules that you had to follow. It says the leprous person, if you were declared unclean, and if you had a clothes, 
and you had to let your hair hang loose, and you have to cover your upper lip, and everywhere you go, you have to unclean, unclean. So you were removed from your, your community, and, and you were put into a colony, right? And, and this could be a colony of tents or, or caves, uh, but you weren't allowed to come within six feet of anyone else your own family. And the disease was considered so revolting that many Jews, they stayed 150 feet away from a person that had leprosy because they didn't want to breathe the same air. So imagine with me this scene in Matthew 8. Here's this leper. He's outcast. He's, he's lonely. He looks disheveled. He's looked on by society and he's, uh, as he's given loneliness, right? By, by the priest, the religious elite of that day. And stumbling through the crowd, the crowd of people now, I don't know if he was yelling or if he snuck up to Jesus, but imagine it as he, as he's coming up and he's yelling, unclean, unclean. And multitudes that were surrounding Jesus are, are kind of parting the way, right? We don't want to get this guy. Coming up to maybe yelling, unclean. Eyes are on Jesus. What is he going to do? What is Jesus going to do? And the leper comes up to Jesus and he says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. He didn't ask, Can you make me clean? He he knew that Jesus was the one he was going to go to, right? If you're willing, you can make me clean. And then a remarkable unfolded in front of everybody. Jesus reached out his hand to this unclean leper and touched him. And he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left. And if you think about it, did Jesus have to touch him? You see, this is the Jesus that calmed the rage by his mouth, right? By his words. He said, peace be still. Storm gone. This is the same God. This is the same Jesus that split this whole universe into existence. That raised Lazarus from earth, come forth. So, so what about these crowds? What were they thinking? Would they, Jesus took a risk, right? Would come near him after he why do you think Jesus chose to touch him why did he take that risk you know perhaps because the leper didn't just need healing from his disease he needed love by As religious person that is lonely, and and we're like a priest, and and we send people on a self-help journey, right? So seven days, and we'll see you the next day. And if you're still lonely, uh, you know, we'll, we'll work on. It. And if we'll clean yourself up, you know, maybe give you another uh, few days, and 
read a few books and listen to a, a few podcasts. It's not the gospel, is it? The gospel, like Jesus, in the eyes of people around you, right? He actually reached out and made himself vulnerable and relatable and and the gospel calls us to do the same. I'm reminded of another story, a great story. If you want to turn there with me, it's in Mark, the book of Mark, chapter 5. woman who had what the Bible called of blood for, for 12 years. She had some type of hemorrhage happening, and she was in a bad way. And so we read, there was a woman who had this discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians. So she had and he couldn't figure it out. She had spent all her money. She poor and no, was no better, but matter of fact, she was getting worse, right? So this woman the leper. She was considered unclean by the religious, right? Under Jewish law, she was unclean. She was unwanted. She was untouched for 12 years. I mean, in her mind and in my people around her, a life sentence of loneliness. So reading on, she, this woman heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in a crowd. And what did she do? She touched his garment. She said, even if I touch his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt her body, in her body, that she was healed from disease. <laughs> and then Jesus, perceiving in himself the power gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched me? Who, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing you? And yet, you say, who touched me? It's like these disciples are, okay, come on, Jesus. That's crazy. You don't have time for this. Look it. There's a million people. you got work to do. you got a mission to go on. And it's just one person you're going to look for who, who touched you. That, that's kind of this. But Jesus looked around to see who had done it. And, but the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth and he said to her daughter your faith has made you well go in peace and be healed sometimes we get busy right and our lives are are chaotic and can you imagine the scene around jesus everywhere he went throngs of people and people clamoring for attention and jesus was sensitive to this woman and the same is true of us. We're sensitive to these lonely people who are tugging at us. Maybe we can't, not very hard, but they're tugging and they're prodding to see if we will pay attention. How often are we having a conversation and a person comes up and just stands there? And it's awkward. Right? And nobody says anything, so we're just going to ignore it and continue. But maybe, could it be that maybe that person is drawn to you and that God, you put you there and God put them there and they're tugging, literally tugging, figuratively tugging for just a little attention to heal them from their loneliness. You know, maybe uh, you're a little bit lonely 
because of past mistakes. I, I've been there before. And now you feel like you're destined to live alone. But not in the family of God, right? Because the gospel tells us we're all broken. We all have past issues and baggage. We've all made bad mistakes, but that didn't get in the way of Jesus dying for you and loving you. And it shouldn't get in the way of us who call ourselves church to come alongside you either. Point number two. Lonely by listening. Four is the famous scene of two men on the road to Emmaus, and they're walking along, right? And Jesus had just risen, but they didn't know it yet. And these two men w were walking, and they were discussing. And, and the Bible said they were, they were, their faces were, were downcast, right? And they were probably more lonely and depressed than ever before. And they're talking with each other, and uh, Jesus comes along, and he behind them and he says, what are you guys talking about? And the guy turns around and says, are you seriously the only guy in Jerusalem that hasn't heard what happened? You don't know what's going on? The Jesus who we put our hope in, who we put our trust in, who is going to be the Redeemer, our Messiah, when we believe that, They tried him and hung him, and they put him in a tomb. And, and by the way, when we some folks went back and checked that tomb, and, and he's not even there. So we don't know what's going on. But I love the question that Jesus asked them to get them prompt to prompt them talking. Right? See, when Jesus came up behind them on the road to Emmaus, and they said, "Hey." You don't know what's going on? And Jesus says, what thing? Right? As if Jesus didn't already know. You know, Jesus uh, totally immediately made their day, right? He said, hey, guys, it's me. The big reveal. Being depressed. Here. But he didn't do that. He started a conversation. He continues with a second question. Why do you think that Jesus didn't immediately just reveal himself and alleviate your pain? Why did he maybe modeling for us how to listen, right? Maybe with modeling world solution to their but before they have a solution to their problem. Today, it seems that most people don't listen with intent to understand. Most people listen with intent. I have a friend that um, has been to hostage negotiator school. So this is when, you know, the SWAT team comes in and you want to get a guy out of the house. You know, we've all seen it on TV. And, uh, you know, I took an introductory course on, on hostage negotiation, right? And I thought it would be pretty cool because I learned all this, you know, Jedi mind tricks and verbal judo and all this cool stuff. But I'll tell you, uh, all we learned how to do in that class is learn how to listen. 
wasn't what I thought it was, right? And sometimes we, we think it's all about the words we say and, 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 and what magical thing can we say and what verse can we bring up or what thought. But a lot of times it's just about can we be quiet and listen. Hey, do you remember Job from the Bible, right? And Job, he was, he was stressed out, right? He has some things going on. And three of his buddies come, well-intentioned friends come, and they, they sit with Job, right? And they don't say anything for a long time. But finally, uh, they got to say something, right? And then if you look through the book of Job, it's a, a real long book. But if you flip through the book of Job, you'll see that many of those pages in the book of Job are these friends preaching a sermon to Job, right? An eloquent sermon. And at the end, they're rebuked by God, right? And it's not that, that maybe they weren't well-intentioned uh, or what they were saying was out of frustration or hate. is because they misjudged God and they thought that God must have been angry with them and they were going to try to fix it with their words. But they know that, that the opposite was true. The opposite was true. See, God loved Job and God was in the business of, of restoring. And so sometimes we look at lonely people and we try to figure out why God is bringing them into this situation and why God is bringing them through that season, and what is the magic formula to get them out, or what is the epiphany if they would just get it through their that to get them out of the situation. But sometimes God calls us to just come alongside and just listen. Point number two. Love the lonely with time with time. You notice that Jesus was always going somewhere. Uh, he was busy, right? But he was never in a rush. You know, he packed a lot into three and a half years of ministry. He was always on the move. He was always feeding people. He was always eating with them. He was always moving. But, but he was never so busy that he couldn't be interrupted. And remember when he was speaking to a crowd in a crowded room, right? And all of a sudden, down to the ceiling comes a, a guy lowered by his friends, right? And Jesus stopped what he was doing and and, and healed him, right? And, and do you remember uh, when when uh, Jesus was on the boat in the storm and he was asleep, right? And things were going kind of haywire and his disciples come and, and they interrupted his sleep and he took care of business. Remember, he'd been praying and his disciples would come to him when he was praying and, and they'd say, you know, everybody's looking for you. Come on, we gotta go. But Jesus made time for individuals. In the midst of Jesus' ministry, he didn't let the urgent crowds and the noise around him drown out what was really important. That story from 10 minutes ago about the woman who was healed when she touched the cloak of Jesus. You know what I find more, almost more poignant than the story itself is where the story is located. You see, that story begins with a man named Jairus coming up to Jesus and saying, my 12-year-old daughter is sick. She's going to die. Can you heal her? And Jesus took time out and he's like, yeah, let's go, Jairus. And so they're on their way to heal Jairus' daughter. He's on his way on a mission, an urgent mission. And while the people are following him there, in the middle, smack middle of that story, it's like a pause, right? 
And then the story of this woman coming up and Jesus taking time to heal her. Right in the middle of an important mission. And while Jesus is performing that miracle, we know that Jairus' daughter died, right? And Jesus goes on, the story picks up, and Jesus brings her back to life. You see, we need to be ready to pause with certain individuals. Our, our, you know, the gospel encounters are made up of, of, of strings of accounts where with individuals who Jesus just paused a moment with. You, you know, he didn't pause with everybody, but he healed one man at the pool of Siloam, one Samaritan at the well. He spoke to one rich young ruler and one tax collector. He made time for these individuals. You know, time, just as a thought, it is a really revealing thing because it shows us what we think is, is worthy. Right? A lot of times we invest our time in things that are going to pay us back. But sometimes God calls us to invest time where there is no payback, at least not down here. But that's the gospel. Right? God invested in us. He poured his life into us without any real, when we were, when we were the lowest of the low. I was on patrol, I don't know, a few months ago now, um, and I uh, dispatch received a 911 call. And it was a rescue call. One of these uh, where somebody presses the little life alert thing, you know. And when that happens, you know, it goes to a company who calls dispatch. And then as I'm riding around in my patrol car, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not watching Netflix like a lot of you believe. And, you know, I'm actually on that screen. Uh, you know, we're getting updates, right? So we get dispatched, and they're telling us all about the situation. And this rescue call came in. And uh, this person... This woman called 911 and she pressed her, her life alert because all she wanted was somebody to come sit and talk to her. She wasn't injured. She wasn't in distress. She was lonely. And I just sat there and I thought, Does she have a church? Does she have family? You know, and all these, these thoughts are going through my head. And it just hit me. She was that lonely. <laughs> that she called on somebody she had no idea or who would show up. To just come and sit with her. I know that there's people in this room uh, that struggle with loneliness, right? There's probably a person, the seat next to you, or two or three seats away that that are that are lonely. And it's ironic because we're surrounded by people here, aren't we? And there are also people here that that don't struggle with loneliness right now in your life. And I want you to know that the gospel, the good news, has a message to both groups of people in this room. First of all, we're commanded to love all people, and not just those who, who lap or 
that God our path so we can't help but stumble across them. Sometimes uh, that's not enough. We need to seek those who are withdrawn. It might take work and it might be uncomfortable, but God is saying before who's in the business of seeking, isn't he? He's in the business of seeking people who are lost and lonely. He's seeking them with, with a reckless love and a love that's that's overwhelming. A love that left comfort and status to come and love us. And that's the type of love love. Love that's not afraid to touch people, to listen to them, and to give them our time. So the second group of people here maybe are lonely. And this is where the devil wants to plant a lie. Just because you feel lonely does not mean that you're alone. Jesus not only understands your loneliness and is destroying it. Jesus died on your behalf and you're no longer truly a stranger or an alien or alone. Fellow citizen, you're part of a, a bigger family. You're a member of the family of God. You see, Jesus was despised and rejected. Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He was the one who men hid his faces from. He's the one who God actually turned away from on the cross. And because of that, he identifies with you. Now, and to love the lonely is not only for those who don't feel lonely, right? It's also for those of us here who may be lonely. And could it be that maybe the first step, the path to help healing is find somebody situation, somebody that's in lonely, feeling the same feeling, seek them out. And that might just be the first step. As we go forward this week, I have a challenge. Don't just look for the people, the lonely people that God brings to you. Seek somebody out in your mind that you know is lonely. And maybe it might just be a simple handshake. Maybe you're not a hugger. Maybe it's a pat on the back. Maybe it's a quick few words. Maybe it's going to be your time. Maybe you just need to listen. Ask them how are they doing really and then just shut up and listen. Find that person today or, or this week and then ask God how he wants you to minister to them. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this opportunity to, to look in your word this morning. Father, there's people that are lonely all around us and, and you showed us how to love those people and sometimes it's uncomfortable Sometimes it's awkward. But Father, you left the comfort of heaven for us. And you loved us when, when we were the most unlovable. You rescued us. And you made us a part of your family. And so as we go forward this week, help us to remember that as we seek out those who are lonely.
Thank you for this reminder today. In your name we pray. Amen. I have a, a benediction for us today from the book of Psalms. And it says this. If you stand with me. If you bow your heads, the Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to God, for it is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. Listen, the Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts from Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds their wounds. Have a good day.